Welcome to College Town Talk, a podcast from Tennessee Tech University. With the help of the Cookville Putnam County Visitors Bureau. I'm Shan Stout, Director of Tourism for the Cookville Putnam County Visitors Bureau. And I'm Jonathan Frank, News and Public Relations Director for Tennessee Tech. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Lori Mann-Bruce, the Provost and Vice President for Academic Affairs at Tennessee Tech. And we're joined by Tennessee Tech alumna and KSLA morning news anchor in Shreveport, Louisiana, Bisky Duncan. And Shanna, it was so fascinating to hear Bisky talk about the lifestyle of a morning news anchor. I mean, she wakes up at 1 a.m. every morning. Oh, that really is sacrificing for the love of your job. You know, like she says, while her family is having a cookout or hanging by the pool or whatever, you know, she's going to bed at what we would consider early dinner time. So uh, I, I also was fascinated by that. And Dr. Bruce had some great reflections about being the first woman to step into the role of provost at Tennessee Tech University and how her background in electrical engineering informs her work. She is brilliant. Oh, she is. And she's also been uh, very kind and gracious to me just in my time working at the university. She's also our first guest today. So here it is, our conversation with Tennessee Tech Provost and Vice President for Academic Affairs, Dr. Lori Mann Bruce. Welcome back to College Town Talk. We are now joined by Tennessee Tech Provost and Vice President for Academic Affairs, Dr. Lori Mann-Bruce. Dr. Bruce is the university's chief academic officer and more importantly, in my eyes, she is the first woman in Tennessee Tech history to hold this position. She oversees all eight of Tech's colleges and schools and provides leadership to the university's bachelor's, master's, and doctoral programs. Now, Dr. Bruce previously served as the Associate Vice President and Dean of the Graduate School for Mississippi State University. And prior to that, if that wasn't enough, she served as the Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies in the Bagley College of Engineering at Mississippi State. Before moving into administrative positions, she served as a professor of electrical and computer engineering. Dr. Bruce, welcome to College Town Talk. Well, hello, Jonathan and Shan. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of College Town Talk. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. We're excited too, Dr. Bruce, and so appreciative to you for making the time. Uh, so you earned degrees in Georgia and Alabama, and I know you spent years working in Mississippi and even Las Vegas, but you are originally from Lincoln County, Tennessee. So when you came here to Tennessee Tech in 2018, uh, did it feel like coming home? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I was born and raised on a small farm in Flintville, Tennessee. Flintville, go Bobcats. Okay, Flintville is a small community about 15 miles from the county seat, which is Fayetteville, Tennessee. So I was from the county and uh, it's very rural in that area. Almost all of my family live in Lincoln County, some in Franklin County, but most in Lincoln County, Tennessee. And um, when I was growing up uh, there, I was super active in things like 4-H, active in my church and high school. I was a total band geek. Uh, starting from around the age of eight, I twirled baton competitively. You're trying to think, how is this going to come back to Tennessee Tech? But I promise it is. So, of course, when I was in high school, I was a majorette. 
in marching season and I played clarinet during concert season. And I will give you three guesses where every summer I went to majorette camp and band camp. I came right here to Tennessee Tech. And so when I came here in 2018 and uh, started here as provost, I would have these little deja vu moments. I'd be walking across campus and I'd have like a little flashback and I'd realize, I think I marched in this parking lot at one time in the early 80s. So I definitely had a sense of coming home. Um, I absolutely love my home state of Tennessee and I feel very, very blessed to be back in my home state. Well, we're certainly glad that you're here. And Dr. Bruce, as we mentioned in the introduction earlier, you are the first woman to serve as provost at Tennessee Tech. Now, in a local news article at the time, you said, and I'm quoting you, I didn't think about it when I was applying for the job, but I've had a number of people walk up to me and say, you just don't know how much that means. Now, as a woman in STEM and someone who has taken on leadership roles, in what are often male-dominated fields, what kind of example do you hope to set for the next generation of engineers, scientists, and university administrators, particularly in the case for young women? Thanks for asking that question. I, I'm extremely proud to serve as the provost and the vice president for academic affairs. And yes, when I accepted the position, I had no idea that I was going to be the first woman to serve in that role. It never entered my mind. It never occurred to me. So that was exciting to learn about. And I feel very proud, but I also feel this extra sense of responsibility to be successful in the position and to set a good example. And, you know, the kind of example I hope I'm setting for the next generation of engineers and faculty and university administrators is one of being an individual who uses their God-given talents for maximum impact and for the good of others. And so regardless of whether we're female or male, whether we're black or white, whether we're rich or poor, you know, each of us as humans, as individuals have talents and skills, and we should be using those talents to expand knowledge, to solve societal challenges, to bring well-being to others. And we shouldn't let anybody tell us, and we should certainly shouldn't tell ourselves that we don't belong in a particular profession just because we don't look like or we don't come from a similar background as other people in that profession. You know, if we have a passion and about any career, I don't care if it's engineering, nursing, teaching, journalism, whatever it is, um, you know, if we have a passion for that, and we're willing to work hard, learn what needs to you need to be able to do in that profession and work hard, we should go for it. And certainly don't self-disqualify or let anybody else tell us or make us feel like we shouldn't be in that profession just because we might be a little bit of an outlier in some way. And that's really, I really believe that. I believe that with hard work and a little luck, you can do just about anything. I think I'm proof of that. What a powerful statement that was. Jonathan, I hope your next question is something great. Well, I don't know if it's a great question, but I know it'll get a great answer. Uh, Dr. Bruce, you provide leadership and oversight across tech's more than 200 academic programs. And I know that the university has added several new fields of study this fall, including a PhD in higher education 
education, a BS in music with a degree option in live audio, and others. So what can you tell us about these new fields of study? Okay, so, you know, as you know, we're always updating, always enhancing all of our academic programs. Our main goal is to ensure that our academic programs are relevant to today's society and workplace. You know, we want to ensure that each and every student graduating from Tennessee Tech graduates with the knowledge and skills necessary to be successful in their chosen profession. So to do that, sometimes we introduce entirely new academic programs. Sometimes we do significant modifications or overhauls of our existing programs. You know, so for example, just this past year alone, we developed five new certificate programs. We heavily revised or totally uh, created new 20 concentrations in degree programs, five new minors, four significantly revised degree programs, and three introduced three brand new programs. So two of those programs, as you mentioned, is the BS in music and a PhD in higher education. So this year we're rolling out uh, or enrolling students for the first time in our BS in music, and we have included an option in live audio. That is really exciting uh, for our students who want to major in music, but they still want a flexibility in their program to take, say, courses in business or computer science or engineering. In fact, our electrical and engineer, uh, computer engineering department has created a new minor specifically for students in that program. So students graduating from that program can enter into careers like live audio engineering. Um, that's what the industry calls those kinds of positions. So uh, that's a great opportunity, particularly here in the state of Tennessee. Um, it's a great program for students who want to combine music with some engineering. They might not want to go all the way to engineering and get an engineering degree, but they want enough of an engineering background to be able to work on that technical side of the music industry. A lot of students really love that. So the other degree program you mentioned is just starting this fall. It's a PhD in higher education. And this degree program, it's designed mainly for people who are working in higher ed or some profession that's interrelated to higher ed. So for example, people who work at a community college or a university or government agency that interfaces with universities. So uh, two aspects of this program that I think really stand out and really differentiate it from other programs in the country is that it has a focus on data science and emerging instructional technologies. So students in that program they will learn how to say mine and utilize data to create um, solutions and appro approaches to challenges in higher ed. They will learn how to use advanced instructional technologies to engage and interact with students, uh, whether those students are on online or, or on ground. So with that combination of data-informed decision-making and advanced instructional technologies, the graduates of that PhD program will be prepared to really serve the students and higher ed in the state of Tennessee, really push us forward um, nationally in those areas. Now, I can see by this answer that tech is very forward thinking and ahead of the curve on what potential students are going to need in their career paths. So staying on the topic of new degree programs, Tech is also readying a new nuclear engineering degree for the fall of 2024. 
Now, I understand it will be just one of two nuclear engineering degree programs in the entire state. Why was that important for the university to take this route? That's a that's a great question because, you know, we have a lot of existing engineering programs. So why add another one, you know, to the mix? Well, nuclear engineering is uh, entering what's being referred to as a renaissance in that industry. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of nuclear engineering programs, education programs in the country, uh, universities closed them down. It just wasn't uh, it wasn't moving forward in the in the job market. And now it's entered a phase where it's booming. Um, so currently across the U.S., there are 92 nuclear reactors, four of which are in the state of Tennessee. And those reactors power homes and anchor local communities. Last year in 2022, the primary source of electricity in the U.S. was nuclear. I don't think a lot of people realize the electricity coming in their home often are coming from nuclear reactors. In fact, more than 40% of the electricity in the U.S. comes from nuclear reactors. And the average age of nuclear engineers working in that field is just over 50 years old. So while the industry's growing, the people working in that field are quickly approaching an age of retirement, which is going to create a shortage uh, within the next few years of nuclear engineers in the country. So in addition to that, the state of Tennessee is looking at a significant growth in the nuclear industry. In fact, uh, Governor Lee's 2023 State of the State address, um, he said, quote, no other state in the country comes close to Tennessee's legacy resources and potential to be a leader in nuclear engineering. And that is why the governor is investing extensively in establishing uh, a manufacturing ecosystem within the state for in that nuclear industry. So we've got this combination of growth in the nuclear industry. At the same time, a lot of the nuclear engineers are kind of aging out of the workplace. And that's going to create a lot of job opportunities for citizens in the state of Tennessee. So Tennessee Tech is trying to be proactive, get this uh, program in place so that our the people in the state of Tennessee can help fill that gap in that industry market. Well, and Dr. Bruce, I know that something that uh, I'm really excited about is that, you know, beyond these new fields of study, there's also so many enhancements being made to campus. I mean, the campus has really been transformed since my time as a student. And there's a lot of excitement about the Ashraf Islam Engineering Building, which I understand is slated for completion in early 2024. And if all goes according to plan, students will be uh, in that building later that fall. So what can you tell us about that facility and how it fits into Tech's mission of putting students first? Oh, oh, I can't be more excited to talk about any topic more than I am excited to talk about the Ashraf Islam Engineering Building. And I first want to tell our audience, why is it called that? You know, it is a brand new engineering building. And one of our engineering alums, Mr. Ashraf Islam, uh, donated uh, very generously to this building and therefore we named the building after him. That's why we call it the Ashraf Islam Engineering Building. And it is one of the many exciting things happening in our College of Engineering. Uh, it's so exciting to see the building taking shape. I mean, literally, the three-story building is over 100,000 square feet. We can see progress every day uh, in the construction. It includes 
well, classrooms, of course, um, engineering labs, both for undergraduates, for their, for their classes, as well as research laboratories. Uh, the research laboratories are for faculty, for graduate students, and we have a lot of undergraduates that participate in research. Um, we had a ton of input from students when designing the building. And the students said they wanted a lot of spaces for working on team projects. They said they wanted spaces for studying in groups. Yes, students want to study. Uh, they wanted spaces for receiving tutoring, uh, getting academic advising. So there are a lot of spaces of that nature in the, in the building, a lot of spaces for collaborative work amongst the students. It will also include a large high bay makerspace. We have a very popular makerspace on campus. It's bursting at the seams. So the students are looking forward to a bigger, better makerspace. The building will also um, be what we call a smart building. So from the very beginning of the design of the building, we've included sensors embedded in the building uh, so that students can study the building. The building itself becomes a laboratory. And then just outside the building, uh, there's a stream that had been years ago forced underground. We're bringing that stream back to the surface. There's going to be a lake. So that's going to be a living water laboratory just outside the building. So the students will be able to use the building, the structure itself, the electrical components of the building, and even the stream outside the building as kind of real-life engineering laboratories. That's, a, that's an aspect of the building I think is really unique. Um, and while the building has all this amazing functionality, it will also be very beautiful. From the outside, the architecture of the building will fit in very nicely with the rest of campus. You, know, you guys know that anybody who comes to Tennessee Tech campus recognizes immediately that architectural style of campus. So the Ashraf Islam Engineering Building will have that modified Georgian architectural style, but with a little high-tech modern twist to it. So that's exciting. And I just know the students are going to absolutely love this building. They're going to love spending time in the building, going to class in the building, and just hanging out in the building. It's got a lot of spaces inside it that's going to help them really build community, nurture their friendships, and just spend time together inside the building. So very functional, very beautiful. We can't wait for it to be occupied. Dr. Bruce, this makes me want to go back to school. I can tell why you're so passionate about this particular topic. It sounds absolutely over the top amazing and such a great resource for incoming students uh, to join the university and have this at their disposal. Now, as we wrap up today's interview, we like to end our interviews by asking the same question. What is one way that Tennessee Tech has impacted your life? Hmm, gosh, that's a that's a great question. Um, so since most of my time at Tennessee Tech, you know, minus major ed camps and band camps when I was in high school, most of my time at Tennessee Tech um, has been in the role of provost. So I would say the biggest impact that Tennessee Tech has had on me is providing me with an opportunity to give back to my home state. You know, when I graduated high school, I went out of state to go to university. And following that, I, I lived in several parts of the U.S. I lived in France. I, I've lived a lot of different places. I never had the opportunity to move back to my home state. And I always wanted to. And um, when the position of provost became available and I was selected for that, um, 
it really meant a lot to me to be able to come back to my home state and to serve in the role as as provost. And I use that word serve very intentionally. You know, serving as provost gives me an opportunity to serve the faculty, to serve the staff, but most importantly, to serve the students of Tennessee Tech. You know, Tennesseans deserve the very best university. Tennesseans deserve a university where students can learn and grow, a university that's affordable, a university where our graduates have successful careers and have, a, in turn, a positive impact on the state. So I'm just extremely proud to serve Tennessee Tech because we are exactly that kind of university. And that's where Tennessee Tech has had the biggest impact on me. Wow. This interview has helped me learn even more about the opportunities that Tech has to offer. Thank you so much for being our guest today on College Town Talk. Well, thank you, Shannon. And thank you, Jonathan. It's been a joy spending time with you today. And I just went in by saying wings up. Yes, wings up. And for our listeners, learn more about the Office of the Provost at Tennessee Tech by going to tntech.edu slash provost. Welcome back to College Town Talk. We are now joined by Tennessee Tech alumna Bisky Duncan. Bisky is a true testament to all the places a degree from Tennessee Tech can take you. Today she works as a morning news anchor for KSLA News 12 in Shreveport, Louisiana, where she resides with her husband Josh. Previously, Bisky hosted the KTAL lifestyle show Loving Living Local and worked in radio for more than a decade, including two years with Zimmer Broadcasting right here in Cookville while she was a tech student. Bisky, thank you for joining us on College Town Talk. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to go down memory lane and talk about some times at Tennessee Tech University and how it can really open doors for you to go anywhere and do anything you want to do. Well, Bisky, yours is a name that we hear often uh, in OCM, the Office of Communications and Marketing at Tech, because everybody is so proud of your success. And we were talking before we started recording. I know we've even had some of the same professors at Tech, Dr. Wilson and Dr. Witcher and others. So take us back to your day as a tech student, how did your communications classes prepare you for the career that you have today? Well, I had an excellent experience um, in the communications and journalism department at Tennessee Tech. You know, everybody says that you're not going to have a favorite professor, but we all have favorite professors. And I'm a little biased, um, but Dr. Witcher and Dr. Wilson have always been so great to me. As a matter of fact, I still have my mass communication notebook from when I took the class with Dr. Witcher all those years ago. And it really was just very eye-opening um, as to the history. I think the history of broadcast journalism, whether it's print, it's radio or television, just seeing how it's grown and seeing how it's adapted and continues to adapt with technology um, has been really fascinating. And so to have professors that sit there and take the time to answer your questions, especially if you have a more focused area that you want to know more about for them to take the time to sit down and work through that with you and look up that information and make sure that you have those answers available to you is really incredible. Now, Bisky, I know that before you began your career in television, you spent many years in radio and I've heard it said that you were quite content there. 
So that being said, tell us about making the jump to television because I hear that it all started with a phone call. Yes, it did. You know, I have been very lucky. I've had um, wonderful experiences in radio from starting in Zimmer Broadcasting in Cookville and working with the legendary Freaky Dave and even Lee Ray when he was there. And, um, you know, Ray Ray and Philip Gibbons, all of them were so wonderful and took the time to sit down and work with you and teach you the basics. And then moving to Shreveport, those basics were a really good foundation to end up um, with Alpha Media. And I had some great experiences there. I was able to work every single on-air shift across the station and work my way up to being a program director and actually running the station. And it's just really neat to see how it all comes together behind the scenes because radio truly is the theater of the mind. And so you have to be very deliberate in every action and every sound and every single word that you choose because you have such a limited time and a limited venue to get your message across to the listener. And so I loved radio. I never had any plans on doing anything with TV. Um, I took one quick little TV class with um, Karen Likens while I was at TTU. And it was really interesting, but I went, yeah, no, I'm never going to do this. And then, um, like many people in the world, when the pandemic started, everything changed and the radio industry was hit very hard. Um, as a matter of fact, laying off about 70% of the radio force nationwide. And so along with that, as many people experienced, you just absorbed more positions and not through any company's fault, but you're absorbing more positions and not absorbing any extra pay. And it becomes incredibly stressful to try to balance all of that. And so when somebody that I had worked with previously called me and asked if I wanted to host a lifestyle show at a television station, I went, there's no way. Like I have hot pink hair. Like there's no way I'm not, I'm not TV capable. I've never done anything in TV other than this class. And my husband, Josh, was a really good supportive force who said, at least take the interview and see what you think. He said, if you hate it, you don't have to do it, he said, but at least take the interview. And the interview turned into an hour and a half, and then it turned into going back the next day and finding out that this was something that it was a good expansion of the skills that I had learned in radio, where you have to be very deliberate with your message and your time, but it's adding another element. And I've always enjoyed the possibility of stretching your brain and learning how to do something new. So I kind of saw TV as a new challenge. Bisky, I would uh, like to think of myself as something of a morning person, but you were on the air most mornings at 4.30 a.m. So talk to us about that lifestyle. Like exactly how early does your alarm clock go off in the morning? So my alarm is usually going off when most people are going to bed. My alarm goes off at 1 a.m. Um, Monday through Friday. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> I have the same reaction when it goes off. Um, so my day starts at 1 a.m. and I get up and take the dog for a walk, make my coffee, and I get caught up on what has happened overnight. And for me, overnight is really anything after 6.30 p.m. because that's when I have to go to bed. And it's very difficult in the summer when you can hear everybody having a great time in the pool or grilling and you're sitting here going, okay, I have to go to bed. I have to be the adult, but um, the day starts early, just getting caught up on everything and then getting to the station about an hour and a half before we go on air. So we can go through what the shows have lined up for the day. If we have any guests, um, if we have any breaking news, who needs to go cover what, and just kind of getting the plan together. Cause it's really important to make sure that the entire team is on 
the same page because a lot of the times people see maybe one or two people um, on camera and they think that's it. But in reality, there is a team of anywhere between 10 to 20 people behind making sure that all of these pieces are perfectly orchestrated and they deserve just as much credit um, as we do being out front. Absolutely. I, I love the collaborative props that you're giving everybody because it is a it does take a village in so many roles. Now, as a news anchor, you've dedicated yourself to telling the stories of people in your community in Louisiana. I imagine you've gotten to share many good, uplifting stories, but we also know that sometimes bad news is unavoidable. Do you have a favorite good news story that you've gotten to share? And what about the hardest news story you've ever had to cover? Oh, good news stories there. They are the reason that we stay doing what we're doing, because as you mentioned, they are unfortunately few and far between. So it's hard to choose one good one because there are so many that I think highlight. I'm a big believer that you always have to be looking for the good. So it makes me really happy when I'm able to share the story of, you know, how a kid saw the, you know, neighborhood people struggling, like whether it's a trash service person or a delivery person, or they saw somebody in need in the community. Kids are amazing. So the kids stories are probably my favorite to show that these children have such good and pure hearts from a young age. And then, of course, I'm a huge animal lover. So anytime I get to do any stories focusing on our shelters and rescues and the good things they're doing and helping these um, animals find forever homes, those are always my favorite. Um, as far as the hard news stories, a couple really stand out to mind. One of the um, in recent investigative pieces I did was on a daycare here who had had multiple violations on them. Um, and some of them going back to the beginning of the pandemic where three children actually under the age of three made it out to a very busy highway and were out in traffic and nearly hit by multiple cars in a two hour time frame before the daycare realized they were missing. And then fast forward a few years to where they have multiple abuse allegations from different employees. And so one thing that is really hard to balance in the news industry is how tragic these stories are for the people that are living them. It's hard to read them, but we don't have that immediate connection as to the parents who, or to the people who are impacted, who may have lost everything in a fire. Um, you know, we recently had a mass shooting here at a block party for the 4th of July, you know, an annual event that happens every year. That's a wonderful celebration for the community but these people are so horribly impacted by it. And another thing that's really hard for these people and also for us as journalists is, you know, the news is constantly moving. So while this is a major story that we may cover for two weeks, one day you wake up and the story is gone. You've moved on to the next round of news and it's very hard to balance that, I think, to be able to say, okay, you know, so many people are impacted and so many people are hurting from this, but we have to put this portion in a box and unpack the next box to help the next round of people. Well, Bisky, as I hear you share that, it just reinforces for me as a viewer and as a, a consumer of news, why I think it's so important to have, you know, journalists that share these stories with nuance and compassion and thoughtfulness and accuracy. And obviously I don't live in Shreveport, but I watched a handful of your segments just in preparing for this conversation today. And uh, you do that so well. So my 
my hat's off to you. Switching gears a little bit, you know, you really left your mark in Cookville while you were here, but you've also been away for almost 10 years now, which is hard to believe. So uh, maybe take us back to some of your favorite memories of Cookville and the Upper Cumberland. Oh, gosh, so many good memories. Um, you know, like anybody else in the South, of course, you got to start with the food. Um, you got to start with the classics there. So El Tapatio, I can't tell you how many plates of chicken, cheese, and rice I ate while, while I was at Tennessee Tech, and I would give anything for a plate right now. Um, I also miss Ralph's. I love those butter twists and the ladyfingers and the the cream horns. Oh my gosh, there's so many good things. So many good things um, food-wise in Cookville, but also so many good people. Um, while I was at Tennessee Tech, I spent a lot of time in the university center spent a lot of time on the South patio and a lot of time with the professors, you know, the ones that I mentioned there, but also um, I'm really grateful for this because in my senior year, I actually had to sub out a class last minute. So I ended up doing debate with Dr. Graham Cash. And as everybody knows, Dr. Cash is definitely a Tennessee Tech legend. Um, and he will push you to do things that you never thought you would ever do. And you would never thought that you wanted to do. Um, so, you know, just spending a lot of time in the communications and journalism building and a lot of time in room 369. I think that was my second home away from home. But just the overall experience, getting to see how wonderful and beautiful the Cookville community is and the surrounding area, um, you know, living in Sparta. There are so many hidden gems that you do not appreciate nearly enough until you move somewhere and you go, oh. What, we don't have waterfalls? We don't have all of these wonderful parks that we can go to, all of these great places. We're so close to Nashville. We're so close to Knoxville. You know, living in the Cumberland area really is a blessing that a lot of people don't appreciate, unfortunately, until they move away. And I would give anything in a heartbeat to be back there. <laughs> well, Bisky, I really appreciate your answer. You know, the first part of your your answer made me hungry, so I'm going to have to go across the street to get a Ralph's Donuts <laughs> now. I'm going to get a butter twist, a twist in your honor. And Thank uh, also, you. Also, um, the, the beautiful landscape here of the natural assets we have are very valuable and oftentimes overlooked for people who live here. But, uh, of course, in tourism, we appreciate that on a regular basis. Best part of my job. Now, speaking of my job, I need to navigate you to answer the same question that we end each interview with, and that is, what is one way that Tennessee Tech has impacted your life? Okay, well, Tennessee Tech has definitely opened a lot of doors for me, as I've mentioned, but one thing that I think is really important, because so many people ask me, they're like, oh, so you went to a major television school, you went to a major journalism school. And I go, well, actually, I went to an engineering school, which I know sounds very odd on paper, because math numbers, any of it, any journalism major will tell you, Ugh, no, terrible. Um, and my degree is technically in print journalism and web design, which I suppose technically on paper, I've never done anything in either of those fields. But it gave me the groundwork and it gave me the basics to be comfortable going into these other venues. Um, because like we talked about, you know, if you had questions about radio or about TV, you know, the professors take the time to sit there and work with you and they will find an avenue to help educate you. And taking classes like debate and the countless speech classes I took 
really opened a venue to be comfortable communicating with others. Because I can't tell you how many people I work with in the media industry that are very comfortable doing what they do in front of a camera, but putting them in front of a crowd to emcee something or to host an event is terrifying to them. But I firmly believe that being able to do what I did at Tennessee Tech set me up for success in both realms. Um, you know, nobody likes to watch themselves on TV and I'm right there with them, but it's important to be able to do that to get the message across. But it's also so important to be able to have those communication skills, whether it's one-on-one -on -one in a conversation like we're having right now or communicating with a large group of people and making sure that they are aware of what the area has to offer for them and how we can help them and how we can help make their life better. Bisky, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. And you may not know it, but you are a role model for many students that are currently at Tech and looking towards what you've accomplished and with hopes of what they might be able to accomplish. And that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful um, signature to you. Uh, I love everything that you've done with what you learned with your degree and your mentors and people that impacted you. And thank you so much for being a guest on College Town Talk today. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with me and letting me be a part. I'm very honored that you guys let me come back and hang out with you guys. And for our listeners, you can find Bisky on Facebook and Twitter using the handle BiskDTV, and you can find her stories for KSLA at KSLA.com. We want to thank Dr. Lori Mambruce and Bisky Duncan for joining us here on College Town Talk today. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share. Join us again next week for more conversations from right here in Cookville, Tennessee's College Town. College Town Talk is presented by Tennessee Tech University in partnership with the Cookville Putnam County Visitors Bureau. Your hosts are Jonathan Frank and Shan Stout, and original music is performed by Andrew Buckner. Visit us online at tntech.edu slash collegetowntalk.